Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And this is the second episode that we're releasing as a preview for the Future Ready Conference, which is coming up this June 14th and 15th. That's a free virtual learning opportunity that we're excited to share out. Uh, We're going to have a lot of tremendous speakers from within Nebraska and also from all around the country. And on today's episode, we're going to talk with one of those speakers from here in our own state. So grateful to Corey Epler, the Academic Officer and Administrator for Teaching and Learning Assessment with the Department of Education for joining us today. So Corey, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited for your Future Ready Conference session on Materials Matter, uh, and I know that's going to be kind of the focus of our conversation today. For people that are not familiar with you and your role at the department, can you kind of speak a little bit to the role that you play here in Nebraska education? The the real question is, what do you do for your job, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, no, well, glad to be part of the conversation, and I can't believe I've been at the Department of Education almost 10 years, and have been in my current role as the academic officer and administrator for teaching, learning, and assessment really about four years. And ultimately what that means is our office oversees the development and revisions of content area standards. Uh, We have summative statewide assessment in our office. We also have digital teaching and learning in our office. And then we also um, work to provide support around instructional materials and resources through our um, office as well. So I always like to tell folks anything that happens on the instructional side, we probably have had a hand in uh, helping shape it, recommend it, or just providing supports around it. Well, and you mentioned there that you've been in that role for four years, and I do know that prior to us even coming on to the pod today, um, you and I were talking about how this Materials Matter initiative has uh, that same history of four years of development here in Nebraska. And so for those that are listening that are maybe not familiar with, I would just say that larger narrative, right, kind of around this work, where it started, how it began. Uh, Can you kind of set the the stage for where things are currently? Absolutely. It really was about four years ago where I made a trip to Louisiana. And as part of a, a conference experience, we were exploring the Louisiana Department of Education and some of the work that they had done specifically around high quality instructional materials. They as a state are one that really kind of pioneered some of the thinking around how we can continue to elevate conversations around quality instructional materials and really being able to understand why instructional materials really make a difference for students or our system. So I remember being down there and we were in classrooms, we were watching students interact with high quality materials And I just really began thinking about what does this mean for Nebraska? What does this mean for our schools? And so as a result of that, we were invited to participate in a eight state network through CCSSO around high quality instruction materials and professional development. And I I hate to say the rest is history, but that really began our work into this space of really trying to understand what's being used in Nebraska for instructional materials, what do we know about quality, and then ultimately what is the Department of Education's role in supporting districts as they select and ultimately implement high quality materials in their own districts. 
Well, and, you know, I'm actually just going to play off your comments there and say, for people that are maybe brand new to this conversation, what, what does the term materials uh, encompass? Yeah, give us a better sense of, of what we're working with here and what makes them quality at the same time, maybe. Yeah, that, that was a really important part of our early work was clarifying terms because we often hear the, the word curriculum and then we've also layered in this notion of instructional materials. And one of the things we heard early on from our educators was that the idea that a curriculum is developed locally. And we truly believe that in Nebraska that each local school district has the opportunity to develop their local curriculum. And then they would use core instructional materials as part of their local curriculum. So for example, if you are talking mathematics and you're using Eureka Math, that would be identified as instructional materials. And then you might build additional resources that support the implementation of Eureka Math in the local school district. So there's a lot of confusion out there around, I'll throw in the word standards, right? Because sometimes people think standards equal curriculum. And we're very direct in saying standards are not curriculum. But when we added in this idea of instructional materials, we really wanted to be mindful that it reflects the tools, resources, textbooks, all of the things that a district could purchase. Or we also know there's a lot of really great OER resources out there as well that are high quality instructional materials. So yeah, we try to be mindful about the difference between instructional materials and talk about them as part of a local curriculum. So then when that's done well, where we have these high quality instructional materials and it, it comes alongside that local curriculum as you're talking about there, what is the opportunity here for a district and like what improvements is this going to bring by the implementation here? Yeah, good question. Um, as we dug into the research around instructional materials, it really became pretty clear that the quality of the materials ultimately are connected to student learning and achievement. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is that some of that research is relatively new. Um, I won't say that it's groundbreaking, right? Because we've always thought that there is the impact of curriculum and materials on student learning. But I would say just within the past maybe five to eight years, there's really been a deeper analysis of what is the impact of instructional materials on student learning and what do we also know about the quality of materials and how can we really understand if the instructional materials for mathematics reflect the type of instruction that we want to see in a mathematics classroom. So I think that was really a big part of our why is really trying to understand the research and the connection behind it. But I also say it's, a, it's an important conversation around equity. Because we also see in, in some work uh, nationwide that many of our students that are historically underserved may not even have access to high quality instructional materials. So I think that's a, an important consideration as we utilize an equity lens really to think about our work is that I told someone just yesterday, like really wanting the floor to be everyone having access to those materials because it's one thing to have purchased them and made that selection, the real rubber meets the road in the implementation side of this. So just because you have high quality materials that have been selected for your school, 
doesn't necessarily mean that they are being enacted well. And so that, again, I think is an important part of this conversation. But I often think like, gosh, wouldn't it be awesome if every kid in Nebraska at least had the opportunity to learn from the most current materials that are the most reflective of the type of mathematics or literacy or science or social studies, et cetera, that we want kids to actually learn from. But I'll say we still have a ways to go in that. Um, Nebraska's made some really significant progress. We are often elevated as an example of a local control state that has done some pretty amazing work around helping districts understand selection processes and materials. And we're seeing the numbers uh, creep up as well. But yeah, I think, you know, really trying to understand what does the research tell us, why this is important. And if it's part of our equity commitment, then it's absolutely critical uh, to make sure all students have access. As you were sharing there, Corey, I had these uh, flashbacks to whenever I was a kiddo in rural Illinois, and we would have textbooks where my, my classmates would look and their older siblings, or maybe even at times their parents had put their name in the year that they received those materials. It's so true, it's that, so true. That was, uh, that was always, uh, as you got your textbook at the start of every year, it was interesting to see just how long that had been in circulation uh, in the season. Yeah, and it was a cool thing when you got your brother or sister's textbook, right? But little <laughs> did you know, we're like, oh, that was eight years ago. Right. Um, and so where are we at in Nebraska? It's got to be an important kind of initial step. I know you all have done some work with data collection on saying, okay, well, what's the current status across? You know, it's tough to think about that in, in all subject areas at all grade levels. Yeah, four years ago, prior to this work beginning, we didn't even know what was being used. And, and I'll say that's been an important part of our conversation all along. And I can sure. reiterate as well is that we're not creating a list. We're not mandating which curricula resources to be used. What we're trying to do is to make the best choice the easiest choice, because it's really hard to, to navigate all of the variations of different year editions of materials, Vendors are changing names, companies are merging. So you may have purchased something under one name and then two years later, they've changed the name. So we're trying to help sort some of that out for, for districts. So the first year we did uh, data collection, the ESUs did a fantastic job of helping collect that information. So we really ask our ESUs to say, okay, here's what we're thinking. Um, let's start to have a conversation with districts in your ESUs, and then we could aggregate that up. Our data collection has gotten more sophisticated. It's an annual collection through the NDE portal um, that we do each year. We ask the districts to tell us what they're using for K-12 mathematics, K-12 literacy, and K-8 science. And then what we've been able to do through our Nebraska Instructional Materials Collaborative is actually publicly display the data on a map. Because I often get calls of which school districts are using X, Y, or Z. And now the great thing is, is we can point them towards the map. So if you're looking at K-5 literacy and you wanna know which districts are using wit and wisdom, you can just click and search and it'll point out the districts that are using it for their core program. Um, since we began this work, I, I will say that the majority of new selections that we're seeing in the state are rated green on ed reports, 
we use EdReports as kind of our barometer of quality. They're a national nonprofit organization that uses educators to review instructional materials. And uh, we've been able to create some bridge documents that help folks go from EdReports back to the Nebraska standards. So if something's green on EdReports, we feel really good that it will reflect Nebraska standards and instructional shifts. So as the new selections are being made, the majority of them are green on ed reports, but there are also some good programs that are yellow on ed reports. I, I don't want to, you know, discount that. So it's been exciting to see folks really latching on to this message and um, really excited about the new materials that are coming out. And our ESUs have been just super important in this conversation as well as they provide more direct support to districts as they're selecting materials. So some of our ESUs are experts in these materials specific conversations where they have many districts that are using those. So a lot of progress has been made yet at the same time, like I acknowledge still, still ways to go. And for people that are hearing your message there uh, and these resources that exist, could you give me the web address that we could point people to at this time? Cause I, that might be something that uh, people would be interested in following up. All of our guidance around material selection processes, as well as linking to the reviews from Ed Reports, is located on the Nebraska Instructional Materials Collaborative. It's nematerialsmatter.org. And I want to say N-E as in Nebraska, not A-N-Y, um, <laughs> materialsmatter.org. So if you go to that website, you'll be able to, to see the reviews from Ed Reports. The other thing I want to call out is if you're selecting materials for literacy, mathematics, or science, we have guidance around the selection process because that was one thing we found too. I heard a lot of crazy stories about how textbooks or materials were picked you know, this, we had two hours in a conference room with six teachers and we had 16 textbooks and we had to pick which one we liked. Well, part of our messaging in this work is really build out comprehensive selection processes that ultimately engage your teachers, that engage your parents and families and the community. Make sure that the materials meet the high quality vision of instruction that you have for your school, but also that the materials are reflective of the students and families that you're serving. So we built out basically almost a step-by-step -step guidance for if you're picking materials for ELA, here's how to start. Here's a process you might consider. So the other thing I just want to mention too real quick on the website is we've been able to highlight some Nebraska success stories. And those are always really fun where we actually were able to get into schools that are implementing high quality materials and hear from the educators, hear from the administrators. And the best part of that is see the students as they're interacting with these materials and, you know, doing things that maybe they never thought they could. So a lot of great uh, just short little videos highlighting some of the success stories of our Nebraska districts. It's a it's a really cool, cool promo on our website. Let's build upon that point there too, or, or maybe say extend it in that once you've selected the materials, there is still the implementation process on uh, onboarding for educators who then delivering that effectively. Uh, and so, yeah, speak a little bit to, uh, okay, I've purchased our, these materials. Now what? I think, you know, the, I'll, I'll draw back to my own teaching experience, right? Where you get new materials and you get 
two days with the vendor at the start of school and then it's good luck. <laughs> um, we're really trying to break that paradigm and, and really trying to identify ways that we can support sustained implementation around the materials, especially in the first year. So you're absolutely right. Like picking them is a great win and we celebrate that, but then comes time to support the implementation side of this work as well. We've been really trying to advocate for and to model materials specific professional learning. And what I mean by that is it's not, it's not just come learn literacy strategies, those are important, but what we might say is come learn literacy strategies in the context of the materials that you're being used. Because what the national data tells us is that there's sometimes a disconnect for teachers when they go to professional learning and then they are forced on their own to make that bridge back to the materials. So our hope is if we can model these effective instructional practices grounded in the high quality materials, you know, we're really taking a step away from our teachers so they don't have to do all of that work individually. An example I might just offer to, you know, we in the last, oh gosh, time's kind of irrelevant in this last year, but over the last several months, we have made a statewide purchase for Zern Math, which allows all public and non-public schools to have access to the Zern Math Summer Intensive Series, which is just really a, a way to make sure kids are ready for grade level mathematics in the fall. Paired with that is specific professional learning to implement Zern. And we've created four strands for leaders, for school leaders, for ESU folks, and then a teacher strand. But we're really trying to say it's not just here's the resource, good luck. We're trying to model that material specific professional learning that we see our districts doing as well. And I don't want to say because we also know that that type of professional learning was and is happening in schools. But what we're advocating for is really building that out and looking at the material specific support over a year and into two years. So you know, trying to move past the, well, here's two days of your new literacy curriculum. Have fun, kids. <laughs> uh, but then being really being able to try and to support continuous improvement. There's a whole data side of that too, um, how we actually understand where kids are at. How do we support students with disabilities? How do we support our English learners? All of that can be wrapped in a very comprehensive material specific professional learning sequence. It's hard, but the results of that are really evident in what we see our kids doing. So when we talk about instructional materials implementation, I think it also lends itself really nicely to the conversations we're having in our state around multi-tiered systems of support or MTSS. And that's really an important part of tier one instruction. And that's the message that we've really been trying to emphasize as we're having conversations with leaders and educators is that in this MTSS framework, in this system, that tier one is for all students. So the great thing is, is when we improve instruction for all kids, we improve it for students with disabilities and English learners and students of color. That also means we might need specific interventions for students that need them as well. But I've just been so excited about how we've been able to have consistent messaging with Nebraska MTSS around strong core includes strong instructional materials for that tier one instruction.
I love the thorough look that you've taken, not only in the, the research behind this, but then also like providing such robust resources for selected materials and then the supports of even saying, here's the videos of what this looks like in the classroom because implementation. Uh, and then we just obviously got into that piece to just kind of frame kind of this, this narrative that's unfolded over the course of our conversation here. Uh, and then that history meets the last year. <laughs> and, and so much has been accelerated and changed and paused and everything in between as a result of pandemic learning scenarios. So how has the High Quality Instructional Materials Initiative navigated the last 18 months or so? I think about a year ago in the spring, I'll tell you what we lived last March, April, and May, especially with the abrupt switch to all remote learning at the time, is districts that had identified and were using high quality instruction materials were really able to leverage those immediately during remote instruction. And it wasn't perfect because of all the other circumstances around um, that abrupt switch. But the other thing we found is that many of those publishers provided remote learning supports really quickly. And that was really exciting to see. And that support was just invaluable. The other thing, and one of the reasons why that strong coherent core was important, because suddenly every kid was learning in a different environment in a different scenario, and ultimately maybe even being taught by different teachers. But with that strong core in place, there was still a hope that there was still consistency and coherence around what we were wanting kids to learn during that time. Now, fast forward the summer, you know, we were worked to trying to figure out what is fall going to look like. We had districts even in mid to late summer that knew they didn't have a strong core for literacy that said remote learning was hard in the spring. And it's going to be hard if we select new materials for literacy now, but it will be easier than not having them at all. So without knowing what the fall would actually look like, we saw districts making selections for materials in the summer so they would have that consistent, coherent core into the fall. And I would say by and large, I mean, that's, that's what I heard from many districts across the state about, number one, how the high quality materials provided that consistency. Number two, that the publishers really provided support and the ability to adapt to remote instruction and then just being able to really continue to refine implementation throughout the course of the year. So it was hard. But I'll say that there's a lot of brave moves made in the spring and the summer that really allowed for us to propel towards the fall with the students in mind. So, and right now, you know, we're in this space where we keep hearing about ESSER funds and this like influx of money that's coming into us through these federal investments. And what we're asking schools to think about is really making an investment in high quality materials and high quality professional learning, because now might be the time to update your math materials that you purchased in 2013 using these resources and providing professional learning to support it. I also, Andrew, I think it's important. I don't want to call out because often I'm like purchase materials. I also just want to acknowledge too, there's some really great materials that are OER, that are open educational resources. And to me, that's super exciting as well because 
gosh, you can save the money on the purchase, leverage these OER resources, which, oh, by the way, we've been able to make Canvas ready for you. So those of you in the Canvas consortium, and then spend the money on professional learning. Instead of buying the materials, take the money and provide three years worth of professional learning wrapped around with the support for Canvas and really just double down on what you need to successfully implement. So it could be purchasing materials or it could be choosing something that's OER and uh, moving forward with that. So I, I just wanna make sure to call that out because there are really great comprehensive core materials that are open. Uh, and, you know, whether you're talking about accessing the, the resources on the OER or those materials that are coming from these different vendors, you can just tell across all of those, there's a strong tech component to this and that those elements are, it sounds like what made it possible for the pivot that took place uh, in the spring of 2020, uh, along with the companies providing additional resources. And then I bring that up to maybe kind of bring us full circle back to talking about Future Ready Nebraska uh, conference and uh, the tech forward sessions and topics that will be uh, addressed there, this conversation being one of them. So uh, this is a preview of your session, but what would you say to folks considering listening into the uh, hashtag materials matter title that you're leading uh, a 45 minute session on at that, that event? My hope is to, number one, just help folks uh, understand the importance of high quality instructional materials, but also really trying to make the bridge between what do we know about effective pedagogy around digital teaching and learning using high quality materials as our anchor. And I think that's really a huge win-win when we're, when we're able to really leverage the best of both worlds. I think we have an environment that's really cool for kids and gets into that notion of personalization. And I know you are the guru on personalized learning. So thinking about what that actually means and how we can ultimately support the direction and the vision for learning. And, and that's what it comes down to for us. You know, how do we help kids learn and be ready for not only current grade level, the next grade level, but where they want to see themselves after they graduate high school. And uh, it's exciting to be able to come to the Future Ready Conference and try to bridge both of those worlds. We've been doing a ton of work with the Nebraska OER hub. So I think, again, that's another really nice bridge to be able to help folks see where some of the comprehensive core materials that we're referencing in the Nebraska Instruction Materials, they're in the OER hub. So I think that'll be a really great chance just to come and learn and listen and um, walk away with some new tools and resources. Absolutely. And that's why we're so excited for this event. Again, that's going to be on June 14th and 15th. That's a, a Monday and Tuesday. It gives uh, educators a couple of weeks to maybe put the work aside at the end of a semester, get a clear head, uh, take a deep breath and get a chance to do some professional learning. And it's free and it's virtual. Uh, as you said, we have uh, presenters uh, from all over the country and across Nebraska as well. Uh, and really looking forward to that as a, a great learning opportunity. And so we'd encourage you to check that out. That is at nefutureready.com. As Corey said a moment ago, that's N-E as in capital N, capital E, not any future ready. Uh, so nefutureready.com. And while we're promoting resources again here, if you would one more time, Corey, talk about the, the site where people can go to, to get access to those resources along with the OER, I think is worth bringing up here too, since we've mentioned it a number of times. For information on instructional materials selection and implementation, uh, folks can visit anymaterialsmatter.org. And if you're looking for the Nebraska OER Commons Hub, 
you go to oercommons.org backslash hubs backslash Nebraska. I'll tell you what, sometimes I cheat and just Google Nebraska OER hub. So <laughs> they may have to do that too. But um, again, we've done quite a bit of work to really try to curate high quality resources. And the grain size of what's in the OER hub, of course, varies from just lesson plans and activities clear to fully scoped and sequenced semesters worth of curricula. So it's it's pretty cool to, to see all those resources come into one spot. Well, Corey, I really just want to conclude this conversation by saying thank you. Thank you for your leadership in this initiative. Uh, obviously, we got a chance today to hear a little bit about the history behind it and the four years and ongoing. You know, the, this investment has been made in making sure that we have High quality instructional materials. If you had a closing message, if you had one one kind of note to leave on here, we tend to do that as we, we bring our pods to a close. So um, yeah, kind of final words here. Yeah, for me, it's just thanks to everyone for just an amazing school year. And I continue to be impressed and inspired by what we've all lived through because there's been a professional and personal side for all of us in this as well. So I look forward forward to a summer where hopefully folks can rejuvenate and then we're going to get back to work this fall and really trying to just ensure that kids are ready for grade level instruction. We're, we're proud of the work that we've done and we're proud of our Nebraska educators and leaders. Oh, and big goals for the future too. So I love that. So Corey, thank you so much for your time. Again, you can uh, listen to Corey's session at Future Ready Conference. And so hopefully we'll see you there. 